0: Hello, Marcus Brigstock here. For rights reasons, we're not able to include all of the music featured in the original Cabinet of Jazz radio series. I would urge you, beg you, plead with you to head in the direction of whatever streaming service you have or vinyl records you have or whatever you've got and go and listen to this incredible music. Music <laughs> Jazz with Marcus Brigstock on Jazz FM Listening Color. Welcome to the Cabinet of Jazz recorded live at Pizza Express Soho for Jazz FM. Yeah. Now if Dizzy Gillespie's 1964 run for president had been successful, I think the world we live in now would be very different. The vice president would no longer be called the VP. He'd simply been known as the president's sideman. The US capital would, of course, be New Orleans. And with the amended levies, Hurricane Katrina would simply be known by locals as that funny night the wind got up and blew a drunk guy over on Basin Street. <laughs> School kids would each morning pledge allegiance to the original chart for dipper mouth blues. And Colin Kaepernick would mostly be famous for being a football player. Of course, he'd have to stay standing during the full 17 minute hard bop version of the Stars and Stripes, but I'm sure he wouldn't mind. Perhaps most pleasingly of all, the word Trump would be known only as an abbreviation for the brass instrument every household had proudly on display by the front porch. And what a pleasing development that would be. Tonight, folks, we can fantasize about what this changed world might look like in a different way as I inaugurate a new president and invite them to create their own cabinet of jazz. They will nominate four musicians from the world of jazz, soul and blues to take up positions in their cabinet of jazz, three for offices of state and one wildcard left to the president's discretion. My guest tonight has been described as not funny with nothing to say (laughs) in the Daily Telegraph, but... to. To counter that, he was also called a sneering tosser in The Guardian. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome our president, Stuart Lee. To be fair to me, it is impossible on your website to find anything other than abuse. Yeah, well,
1: I I only put the bad ones up. But actually, it was a a sort of period when I started to do a lot of telly about 10, 15 years ago. And social media had sort of started. And I didn't really know what social media was. And I looked at it and I saw all these people that just hated me. And then I thought, right. And I, I started writing everything down and collating it. And I tried to become more like the act they hated. And uh, that,
0: that's what got me to where I am today. You've really... <laughs> you, well, I'm very pleased that you're here. Now, I, I first became aware uh, that you were a jazz fan when at the Edinburgh Festival some years ago, I was in... There's a very good record shop up there, branch of FOP, and I was picking up a copy of Ascenseur pour le Chafaud, oh, right. which I ought to be able to pronounce by now. And from behind me, a voice said, it's good, that. We used that in a show once. We all danced to it. Yeah. And, it yeah, and it was you. And you walked away. And I was a very new comedian. I was like, oh, that was terrific.
1: No, I'll t- t- tell you what it was. It, we used to do a show called um, Club Zarathustra in the early 90s. It was Simon Munnery's idea. And the idea was it was stand-ups. So we could do anything except stand-up. And Julian Barrett and Noel Fielding, who weren't the Mighty Boosh at that point, in fact, this may have been the first thing <laughs> that they ever did together, was that they did a really insane dance to a track from that from that album. Yeah. yeah, and it was really, really good. And lots of my life I've been sort of sceptical about jazz, and one of the things that got me into Miles Davis was that Simon Munnery, one of the greatest stand-ups of all time, and I, was, I lived with him for a bit when I was homeless, and he would just keep me awake playing miles davis over and over and over again to me until i just admitted that it was brilliant and so you know that's he, he got me into that
0: wait was that back in 1983
1: uh 93 yeah something like that in 93 yeah, yeah, okay yeah, yeah. uh and you also lit, went to the vortex jazz club yeah well i still go there i ended up living in stoke newington in north london in hackney and uh that turned out to be where all the people whose music I was getting into seem to sort of live or work. There's still loads of venues around there.
0: Cafe Otto and The Vortex and other things sort of pop up. When you're writing a new show, yeah. do, you, do you shut everything out or do you listen to music? Do you go and look for stuff while you're creating or how does well, it work?
1: I do tend to listen to music all the time. I start to get a feel for what the new show is. And one of the things that crystallises it is when I start to think, well, what music will I play on the way in? Mm -hmm. and at the interval and afterwards. And when I sort of know what that is, I kind of know what the feel of the show is and whether it's going to be... If it's a sort of long 20-minute grinding kraut rock thing from 1970, then I know it's going to be one of those shows. (laughs) And and if it's loads of short, punchy, punky power pop things, I know what it is. And if it's it's a half-air... John Coltrane improvisation, and then I know there's going to be a bit at the start of the hour which establishes a premise which is then deviated from 50 minutes but then gets back to it in the closing moment. So the, the, the music really, really does inform it and actually, at the risk of sounding pretentious, and I think there's nothing worse than comedians imagining they're artists of some sort, I do get as much inspiration, I think, from the rhythms and the structure of music uh, as I do from from seeing other comics really
0: um uh, that is particularly with jazz i mean phil yeah. minton's like really important his process right yeah is is one that's would you say inspired you well a lot
1: of those people in the in the free jazz um uh, area and the european improvisation area really have done because they seem to go to the edge of what's possible for them they seem to do it to the detriment of their income or career and they seem to do it um, because they're driven to do it. But then they also have to work out ways of living that enable them to do that stuff. And I'm lucky because I've stolen all those ideas. But I've applied them to quite a commercial um, area, which is stand-up. But I think you know, it is inspiring to see people you know, w- working at the limits of what's possible.
0: Yeah, I mean, more, more and more people seem to be very interested in the early workings of a comedian's new show. Yeah. Like, like those shows are selling, they sell really yeah. fast. A work in progress. People leap on it because they kind of seem to be interested in seeing that process, seeing the idea, uh, the, the melody perhaps, and then seeing the improvisation. Is that how you do it? You It you- is, but the difference between me and a,
1: and, a, and a jazz musician or an improviser is that if I improvise something on the night and it works then I work out how I can fabricate the spontaneity of that and the excitement that caused in the moment, whereas they'll probably never return to it. And a really good example of sheer hypocrisy of this on my part is, I was on stage in... OK, like I, I, I can lose and gain sort of two stone on a nine-month tour, so I have to have a number of different-sized trousers in readiness. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm the same, man. Yeah. yeah. And, um,
1: and uh, so I was on stage in Bristol in the last time I was doing this long bit of shouting and complaining about something. And I could feel that my trousers were starting to fall down. Um, and I thought, I wonder what would happen if I just let them fall down. I, thought, I sort of thought that would be quite interesting, because I'm doing a high-status thing, complaining about stuff. But that would be even funnier if I was a low-status person... Those trousers are on the floor, and he's probably got Mark Suspense's coloured underpants on, you know. So I, I sort of let them fall down, and it was m- much funnier than. Um, than in fact, there's, there are a few bits of comedy that cannot be improved by a man's trousers falling down. <laughs> I guess the difference is that's not true of jazz, but, um, <laughs> and that's where the Venn diagram overlap stops. But I, le- I thought, that's bloody brilliant, my trousers falling down. So I thought oh, I've got to do that again now. So the next night I um I got the next size up trousers. Ah, <laughs> oh, he's giving away all his secrets. They'll all <laughs> they'll all be doing it now on live at the Apollo.
0: But, um, <laughs> comic after comic with their trousers around their ankle um, some of them not understanding how it works and just coming out with no trousers anyway
1: not realising it has to be a progression but um, (laughs) then I worked out that if I just before I started the bit if I just appeared to put my hand in my back pocket like anyone would I could push the trousers down over the curve of my buttocks and then if I did a slight little wiggle they could go bang like that at any point that I wanted And then this started this huge debate. Was he faking his trousers falling down? And I was, but initially it started as an improvisation, right? And so all those shows are where improvisations happen. And in those shows, in the tryout shows, like you say, like a lot of people, I try to go as far as I possibly can with something and see where you can pull it back. The the problem with that now, not just in terms of uh, the structure of something, but also in terms of taste issues, is you might be saying something you probably never really would intend to ever repeat but you're interested in where does the limit lie. Yeah. And you, that's not really a risk you can take anymore because of um, camera phones and social media and stuff. So it's slightly... The, the idea of a, of a pure work-in-progress show belongs to a different time, I think, because we, almost more than anyone in, in, in our job, we, we had to have the right to make mistakes, and it's really difficult to police phone usage.
0: You are now our president, Stuart. Now, under under normal circumstances, the new president would swear in on a copy of the Bible, but at the heart of jazz is the spirit of improvisation. So the Bible will stay on the shelf while our new leader selects what for him is another holy item. What holy item are you going to swear in on? I'm going to
1: swear in on my celebrity mastermind trophy that I won, yeah. Um, That I won for answering questions about the free improviser, Derek Bailey. And um, don't forget, Mastermind, something like Taskmaster, that's made in the edit, right? So if you win that, it has no meaning, really. But, um, <laughs> but uh, Mastermind is a pure contest. It's not made in the edit. What you see on the TV, that's what really happened on the night. And so that is the only worthwhile thing that television can give
0: You've you. Got-
1: <laughs> i I'd swear swearing on that. You haven't done Taskmaster, have you? have I been rude I to you? No, 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 okay, I haven't. No, no, I haven't. That's all right. I, I do, do that, that all the time. I accidentally insult someone for a laugh, and then the person next
0: to me goes, "I wrote that." Or something like that. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I've done loads of other crap, but not that <laughs> okay. yet. I'm waiting. It's good. I, think. I have done Mastermind though. Oh, have you? Yeah, I have. I have. And in fact, my first choice subject was Miles Davis, and, right. the, and they just went, "Nah." Why? Why did they Because loads of people have done Miles Davis. In fact, someone on the same day of recording was doing Miles Davis. So they said no. So I did Pink Floyd instead. On your Derek Bailey round, you got 14 correct answers. Derek Bailey. It was really, really impressive. I, I won Mastermind and I got... Less than 14 points on both my rounds. So when I watched your Derek Bailey, uh, hats off. So this is your your holy item. Have you got a copy of the oath that I've written for you, Stuart? I've got one here. I'll read it out. Uh, If you could put your hand on your Mastermind trophy and read out your oath, please.
1: I do solemnly affirm that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States of Jazz. I will protect and defend the music from naysayers. I will say their nay. I will nay their nay with a positive double nay. When the incurious and lazy say, oh, sorry, I only like music you can dance to, or they're not on top of the pops, are they? There's a reason for that, mate. Or I do quite like the girl from Ipanema, but the rest of it's crap. (laughs) I I will scowl them into submission. I will, to the best of my ability, uphold the spirit and the form of jazz, so help me, Diz. Marcus wrote that. It's a great
0: declaration of intent. Nicely done. Now, uh, do, uh, do you think the world would be a better place if it were run by musicians, by well, jazz musicians? I do, yeah,
1: because I'm, and that's partly because a lot of the people I know uh, that, that I like, they run their own labels out of an attic in Hackney. They uh, managed to get all around Europe on micro budgets. They've managed to uh, m- survive for 50 years on tiny economics, getting from place to place and releasing their own stuff. Uh, they're organised, driven and determined. Admittedly, you know, a lot of them, uh, that we hear a lot on all these programmes about jazz musicians who've had heroin problems or have been alcoholics or whatever, but for every one of those, there's people that are basically, with no help from the government, no help from the Culture Secretary, no help from organised media and broadcasting, (laughs) keeping really interesting music going on their own terms. And, um, you know, if you... If you can do that, then you're a lot better
0: organised than a lot of people in government at the moment. So, yeah, I do think they would be good, yeah. I feel they'd be less likely to pitch up and say, the sea was shut. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, good point. Um, OK, well, we've met and inaugurated our President of the Week, so now we need to find out who will be in his cabinet. Stuart, let's uh, hear a selection from your first appointee. Stuart, who was that? That's Frank Morgan playing in a sentimental mood yeah,
1: yeah a, a standard and um i mean w- w- when you get asked to choose things for uh, for uh you know what's a, a, a record that's meant a lot to you it's not it's not always just about is it the best thing it's about what memory does it trigger frank morgan was a good um lesson to me i was in I, about 20 25 years ago i did that thing where you try and you drive across america and i went to taos new mexico because i wanted to see where dh lawrence had lived and uh we stayed in a hotel there, the Tower Inn. And um, the guy at the desk went, Frank Morgan's playing in the bar tonight. And I went, oh, right. And he went, the jazz bloke, he's brilliant. I thought, yeah. I thought, I'd probably have heard of him, wouldn't I, if he was any good. So I just sort of ignored it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it'd be some bloke playing, like, you know, the s- solo from Baker Street for two hours or something. <laughs> and um, so I just went and sat in the bar. And over about an hour, I gradually... Wrote, my girlfriend at the time was with me, she went this is really fantastic, can you hear And I go, yeah, it is really good. And then we went in and watched the last half of it, and it was, it was superb. It was like seeing someone from the 50s where bebop moved into modal jazz with little slightly dissonant bits in it, um, sort of trapped in time. So I went away from Taos, and I thought, that's absolutely bizarre. I saw this really old guy, Frank Morgan, and he seemed like someone that you should have heard of, mm. but I just absolutely hadn't. And then I gradually found out about him over the years. So in 1955, he made one album, and he was so fetid as being the next Charlie Parker and whatever. He went completely off the rails and spent 30 years in and out of prison on, uh, as a heroin addict. Another one. This is what these shows are, aren't they? A celebration of heroin yeah, addicts. It's
0: difficult, isn't it? And, yeah, um, when people said you're the next Charlie Parker... Uh, he thought, oh, I'll just do the oh, heroin OK. Bit. Yeah. <laughs> Where's Moose? <laughs>
1: and... Um, then he came out in the mid 80s and sort of picked up where he'd left off so he he sort of missed a lot of the worst things about jazz and rejoined it as if it was unaffected by it and then had another 20 years of 20 30 years of making great records and um and i i I can't quite believe that i that i saw him and he um and he you know he's thought of as one of the great people from that generation and it, it just goes to show that you you kind of you can't dismiss anything out of hand. Like, or, or, or there's surprises everywhere and you, you think you know stuff. And particularly, this is one of the things I think that appeals to me about jazz or someone of that sort of mentality, that you join the dots between things and you suddenly find something fantastic that, you, that you'd never really um, heard of before or imagined could exist. So he's sort of like a Jurassic Park dinosaur <laughs> jazz man from the 50s.
0: It was sort of reanimated, reanimated from a piece of amber. Yeah, so, yeah. so you would like him to be a, a Supreme Court judge?
1: Yeah. Well, because I feel that he'd understand the prison system, at the very least. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Definitely. And also, he shows that um, a lot of the way that we think about justice is it's a punishment, and these people have got to be punished. Well, obviously, what happened for Frank Morgan was he was redeemed, you know, and he was was improved by, and I think we have to think about what is the point. He
0: expressed heartfelt gratitude to the penal system for, as he put it, saving his life. Yeah, Uh, A lot of people I don't think would see it the same way who've been in and out of jail and all the rest of it. It doesn't work for everybody. But once he was out after that 30 years, he did remain sober. He stayed off yeah. heroin. I think he quit drinking as well. And his yeah. his music later on was absolutely phenomenal.
1: Yeah, it's great. Is this one you'd heard of before? No, no absolutely I not. Mean, it's a really no. nice find,
0: isn't it? You know, yeah, because, beautiful.
1: Because um, it's beautiful. And it, it's beautiful in a sort of classic way, but you come to it
0: fresh because he's not someone that you've heard of. So it's really great. Do you think... On that basis, that justice secretaries generally ought to have been to jail. <laughs> well, pleasing of, well, idea, isn't it? <laughs> well, it
1: depends, doesn't it? I mean, who is the current justice secretary? Do you know? In, in this no, country, I, who's no. so, uh, Dominic? After the reshuffle, it, 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 it's Dominic Raab. Oh, right, hell's bells It's Dominic Raab, who's you know. So, I mean, Frank Morgan would definitely be better than Dominic Raab, <laughs> even though he's dead. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> well I, t- I think it's very hard to resist the idea that after 30 years in jail and redemption that he'd be anything other than an excellent supreme court appointee and thank you for introducing his music to me so i'm i'm gonna nod him through does that have the approval of uh, the- so frank morgan there approved as a supreme court judge um now Stuart, your next choice this is for Secretary of Defence. Yeah. And this is another musician whose work I didn't know. Uh, tell, us, tell us who this is. Well, I've chosen uh, Peter
1: Broxman, the German uh, free jazz saxophonist, partly because he was in my mind in the last couple of weeks because he's been the subject of a, of a social media sort of flurry of interest because um, there's an American TV chat show host called Jimmy Fallon who does a little segment every week where he ridicules the work of musicians by holding up the sleeve of their record, playing an extract from it and sneering at it. Uh, And he did this with um, Peter Brotsman. He held up this sleeve from... uh the album Nipples by Peter Brosman and affected to not understand what that picture is. What is that picture, Marcus?
0: It's very clearly a man hunched over uh, a piano with a cigarette in his mouth.
1: Right, good. So that's that sorted out. Anyway, and then he played the music and everyone was laughing at it. But it was one of those kind of weird things where he picked the wrong avant-garde jazz man to tangle with. Because although, <laughs> because all around the world, there literally hundreds of fans of Peter Brosman <laughs> took to social media and pointed out that Broitzman has spent 50 years reinventing the form and Jimmy Fallon has achieved nothing of any value ever <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and of course Broitzman's fantastic and he's one of those people where when you first see it you think that's a bit of an avant-garde mess of noise but if you ever see him live the fact is him and the people he collaborates with they're, they're so good at what they're doing you can't help but be impressed by it even if you, you don't like it I hope people think that about me I don't know <laughs>
0: I think it's clear at this stage that is what people think about you. Uh, well, let's let's hear some Peter Brock. This is a bit of machine gun on the Altavistic label. I don't love it. No. Well, But, <laughs> but, but, when I, because I, I hadn't heard this before, I hadn't heard it before, and I, 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 I listened to it, that's 17 minutes. That yeah, what well, I mean, and it, it basically, it basically sustains that, and then it will
1: suddenly sort of go into just almost nothing happening, and then it starts again. It's really hard to listen to yeah, as, yeah.
0: A, as a record, and the point, the point about music like that, I think, is to be in the room.
1: Yeah, right? well... Yeah, ought to be in the room with a record on. You know, I mean, uh, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is, if you if you see him you can see what he's doing. I mean, that, that lineup of people on that it's uh, Evan Parker, Derek Bailey's on it actually, mm-hmm. Han Bennett on drums. It's just superb. They're really inspiring figures, and um, I think what they're also trying to do there in the '60s, the the European free jazz guys, is they've heard Eric Dolphy and all these mm-hmm. people and and Coltrane and whatever. But the anger and rage and expressionism in that music is about um, a particular black experience. It's inspired mm-hmm. by the civil rights movement or whatever. They're trying to find their own thing that's comparable to like that. And that, that music, to me, sounds like a response to World War II and the fragmentation yeah. of the European continent afterwards and all these little partisan gangs fighting. And it, it, Machine Gun also, as a track, it, it sounds like we talk about playing music and the, the, the word play in there... Is a thing we sort of forget that it is people playing, and the whole track sounds like loads of kids going ah, and doing yeah, like, impressions it of does. machine guns for and twenty this, minutes, and I, I think it's really brilliant. Uh, there's
0: a Portishead record called Machine Gun on uh, on Third, and there's a Hendrix tune called yeah. Machine Gun, and of of those three, which I think are all trying to replicate the sound <laughs> of a Machine Gun. Brotsman definitely nails it. <laughs> and, and the Commodore's one is way off. I mean... Way off. So I think he'd be a good Secretary
1: of Defence because of the sort of overdriven, relentless bombardment of that piece. But also because in the last couple of weeks, he's done a really great thing, which lots of people involved in military activities don't do. It was all over social media because Jimmy Fallon had been sneering at him from a point of ill-researched ignorance. And he just didn't just didn't really say anything. He said he was pleased to have been played. And he just let it play out. And he he, he kept his powder dry. He didn't shoot first and ask questions later. He didn't send a load of gunboats down to Jersey for no reason, for example. <laughs> yeah. He just he's just let it diffuse. And um and he's still and he's still there.
0: He's not sort of massively commercial grantsman. No, Definitely no. not. Definitely not. <laughs> I, I've not been to see that kind of music performed never. What does Brotzmann give the fans? Like would he would he, you know, play machine gun, go, We're gonna no. play we're gonna play out on a classic no. now. No,
1: nothing that you know ever. Nothing. You have to give up on that idea. That um things will start from there, there, might, there, there might be some rough plan about mm-hmm. who's going to come in where. And in fact, it's quite funny, sometimes in, in free jazz and free improvisation, you see them doing those sort of trad jazz singles of counting someone in, and <laughs> you think, what are you counting them into? Like, what's going on? <laughs> what's going to happen <laughs> what's next? Happening? I cannot wait to see. Which, you know, you just, you just don't really sort of know. And, and um, one of the things I love about it is when it, it gets to a point where you can sort of see they can't quite believe the position they've got themselves into. And this happens in a good comedy improvisation, whether you're alone or with other people. You sort of paint yourself into a corner, mm-hmm. don't you? And you yeah. think, how the hell are we going to get out of this? You can sort of see the trio looking at each other, hoping someone's got a route out of where they've got <laughs> themselves. To. And I think that's the thing that I take away from it as well as a comic, is when I get stuck in an improvisation or something's happening in the room, I often think, well, how bad can I make it?
0: Yeah, do, and it then can
1: I get, do it more. Do it more, yeah. And then can I get out of it? And that's totally something I got from seeing those people. And, and also from this great bit of paper that Evan Parker gave me, which is the, the thoughts of, uh, of uh, Thelonious Monk as oh, written yeah. down by Steve Lacey when he was touring with him. He made a list of wise things that Monk had said, and they're all great. Not all of them are relevant to me. For example, they tried to get me to hate white people, but someone would always come along and spoil it doesn't really affect me. But um, what happens in the room is the show. Yeah. You know what? If only someone had said that to us. Don't worry about what's happening. That's the show, right? Don't try and make it into a different show. Because mm. if that person wants to ruin it, that's up to them. And you've
0: got to go with it. And it's only one night, isn't it? You know. Well, when we played Machine Gun just then by Peter Brotsman, the people here in Pizza Express in Soho looked uneasy uncomfortable and nervous and i think in a sense that is the clearest possible indication there could be that he's a perfect secretary of defense <laughs> so i'm going to allow it thank you before we go to the break uh, i have asked the audience to to offer up their own suggestions as to who should be in the uh, in the cabinet of jazz uh, dudley moore minister of entertainment yeah that's a good idea I agree it? absolutely yeah, someone who could play beautifully His, the, the Dudley yeah. Moore trio records are, are great um, and be extremely funny as well uh, Roy Ayres Environment Minister sure why not uh, Chet Baker Attorney General I mean I think that's risky I must say um, suggestion here Prince President of Everything <laughs> I mean i definitely support that yeah, sure. I mean, th- these are altogether too too reasonable. Uh, Sun Ra, what role? Culture, media, sport, and weed. I took That's, my kids to the see the Sun theme. Ra
1: Orchestra when they were about seven and ten, and uh, I sort of thought they should see them, um, and because uh, the main guy is like ninety eight now, isn't he, or something, and mm-hmm. I said to my son, "What's the best gig you've ever seen?" And he said, "The thing I've enjoyed the most I've ever seen is Twenty One Pilots." a we sort of emo pop group he said but i think the best thing i've ever seen was probably sun ra even though i didn't really enjoy it <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: interesting that he was able to make that distinction i think <laughs> perfectly legit uh well our president Stuart lee has managed to get frank morgan through as uh, his supreme court judge and peter brotsman through as secretary of defense now stewart who is your nominee for secretary of health
1: well, my nominee uh, for Secretary of Health is uh, Phil Minton, who is a, a jazz vocalist who is capable of conventional jazz vocalese, uh, but he's in his early 80s now, and for most of the last 30 years, he's been pursuing a furrow of uh, testing the limits of the human voice and um, its ability to communicate uh, emotion uh, without really connecting to conventional ideas of structure or melody or rhythm. Um, LAUGHTER I think he's a bit of a genius. Uh, I put him on at um, the last tomorrow 's Parties Festival that I curated in 2016, and um, he, he did a little room on the Friday to about 100 people, and everyone that had been there was running around saying it was the best thing that he'd ever seen or whatever. We put him on in front of like 2,500 people on the Sunday afternoon in the big room at Prestat in Pontins, and um, it was a spectacular moment, which just showed that sometimes if you can get an avant-garde thing... And you can put it in front of a lot of people in a Pontins on a Sunday afternoon, they suddenly find that that was the thing that was missing from their lives all along.
0: They they really loved it. Oh, that was great. It's just
1: superb to see someone. Well, you'll hear a bit, you know, it's sort of. uh, It sounds like things coming into being, and he sounds like babies crying, and he sounds like the happiest you've ever been. within the space of seconds and he he starts without really having a a plan and um to see him live doing a solo thing is uh i I just feel distraught at the end of it i feel like i've been put through the ringer of all different human emotions without really any context for them just reduced to their most um primal form and anyone that's seen my stand-up in the last 10-15 years will probably realise some of the stuff I've copied from it Um,
0: (laughs) again in a far more commercial format but uh, let's let's hear a track from No Donuts In Hand by Phil Minton which can be found on the Eminem label My hope is that someone has tuned in to Jazz FM <laughs> at exactly that moment who's never heard Phil Minton before. Yeah, I hope so as well. And is, yeah.
1: Yeah, and then they go, I think oh, that was brilliant, I'll go and get everything he's ever done. Yeah. Because, uh, and also, you can know, what he's doing in the first half of that, he's sort of doing what R- Roland Kirk did with the saxophone. He's managed to get two different notes sort of simultaneously out of his own throat and nose and you know well, it's not going through anything his head's the resonator it's absolutely mm. amazing i actually emailed him yesterday because that, that's from an album called no donuts in hand and, I, and a lot of his albums have got the word donuts in the title and i wondered why that was so i said why is that he said i'll be very quick he said i'm in germany sweating over my passenger locator form to allow me back into the uk back in the early 80s i was in new york staying in the bowery and it had been snowing heavily i was standing on the sidewalk waiting for my lift to a gig a car passed, spewing up filthy slush on the walkers on the pavement. One was a Bowery character who shouted obscenities to the driver in a perfect New York vernacular. He turned to me and said, No one needs a f-ing car in New York. People don't need most of the shit they own. Everyone's f-ing greedy. The other day, the mission took us out to Coney Island for a surprise outing, and some of the guys had donuts in both hands. So f-ing greedy. Donuts in both hands. He repeated this over and over again as he walked on his way with his two fists in the air. Donuts in both hands. Yeah, I thought, people don't need half the shit they own. This was forgotten, but I like the image of hands and donuts for my solo recordings. Are they still available, I wonder? All the best, Phil. That's true. And I thought he'd be a good... Minister of Health because he seems to me to be able to embody suffering and pain and to have a, an empathic feeling for the human condition in its most primitive and sort of boiled down form and uh, he has to be better surely than Sajid
0: Javid <laughs> I mean if, if nothing else he seems very willing to take on the obesity crisis <laughs> <laughs> Does he? He's when, furious about the amount of donuts people. would <laughs> Livid. Yeah. Both hands. Yeah. Um, the good story that. When you it? go and see Phil Minton, and I, do, I, I don't mean this disrespectfully. Do people laugh? And is he? Um, sometimes. Do people find it funny? And yeah. does he find it funny?
1: I, I, I sometimes. And I think the great thing about the the free jazz musicians is, like Monk says, what happens in the room is the show. You know, and they. They kind of go with it, and um, but it is funny sometimes. Something can be absurd and laughable at the same time as it being tragic. You know, the, the great thing about jazz, or all kinds of jazz, is it's open-ended. You know, mm-hmm. and what you will take different things away from the same piece on different days. Whereas lots of the arts, the idea is that everyone holds their lighter up in the air at the same time, and mm-hmm. um, I think that's one of the great things about. This sort of music is that, it, and and lots of jazz is it's it's open ended, and, and you can come back to it at different points in your life, and it will mean different things to you. Mm. And yeah, you know, I would have laughed my head off, unreservedly at that music thirty years ago, mm-hmm. but it wore me down. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it got you.
1: <laughs> and I still mm. la- I laugh at it, and I laugh I laugh at it, and I, and you can see the people doing it sometimes, realizing that. It's
0: hilarious, the situation they've got themselves into, and now they've got to get out of it. But the joy of it is brilliant. I mean, the nearest thing I've heard to anything like that myself is Bobby McFerrin, who's known for Don't Worry, Be Happy. But actually, if you go and have a have a dig around, the explorations in, in yeah. his live recordings are extraordinary. He's not yeah. as far out, I'd say, as as Phil Minton, but still definitely weird until you consider the noises he's making and no more weird than the noises loads of other musicians choose to make through an instrument yeah, yeah, so yeah. all yeah. right well you've said he's not afraid of being unpopular and from the look in the room I think you're right uh, and I think he would make an excellent secretary of health so great <laughs> hooray for Phil Minton all right let's hear a piece of music from your final selection Stuart
1: Mr. Joy Mr. Joy's a toy. You can wind him up. He'll do anything you want him to Who was that? Well that, that's Karin Krog and um Karin Krog was uh it is a Scandinavian jazz singer. She uh, made lots of records with um Archie Shep and Dexter Gordon, and um, that's one of her solo albums from the late 60s from Joy. She, she'll take something that sounds like a, a jazz standard, that's actually a Annette Peacock song that she mm. did with Paul but and then she just dismantles it and throws it away and takes it to places that you could never possibly have imagined a voice would get to, and yet it's still recognisable as being part of that standard and that song. And I think it's a really interesting thing about jazz and it's probably one of the reasons that I like it increasingly as I get older is on some level it's a negotiation between entertainment and art isn't it? you mm-hmm. know and uh because it grew up in nightclubs like the pizza express Soho, <laughs> it's sort of required to deliver entertainment value mm-hmm. and yet also the people in it a lot of them are trying to to see what are the artistic limits of it and so you have this dialogue going on between um, the artistic possibilities of it, but also the requirement to deliver entertainment. Mm. I think that really relates to stand-ups. You yeah, know, definitely. We're, we're really, we're basically nightclub acts with ideas above our station,
0: you know. And, um, <laughs> and no ability with an <laughs> instrument. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I really like, and, and Philip Larkin, who for all his strengths as a poet, was a quite a conservative jazz cricket. He, he said in the, in the 60s that the, when jazz went wrong, was when black musicians no longer felt obliged to entertain the white man. Mm. You know, he, he thought that the point at which they t- tried to develop a voice and, and, and artistry mm. um, was when it went wrong. And actually that Ken Burns jazz series is similarly conservative in its own way. It is, and, yeah. Um,
0: it's, it's a sensational watch up to a certain yeah, point and yeah. then with a light flick of the wrist, he just sort of dismisses it's, everything else. Yeah, and I, I kind of think that,
1: negotiation between entertainment and art is uh, mm. is something we're involved in. And I, and I love seeing jazz musicians wrestle with that thing. I, I like the fact that even at his most extreme in the 50s when he was doing The Bridge or things like that, a Sonny Rollins track will come back to a calypso or a or a song that you might recognise as a work song or a mm. spiritual. Same with Albert Isler. Even at Albert Isler's most extreme underneath it all, there are things that you recognise as hymns or whatever. And I, I think that's something was a stand-up you kind of hang on to, that you are working within a, a form on, yeah, on yeah, some level. Yeah. And, and the, but the fun is, how can you stretch it and break it, but then still put it back together at the end? Often I can't really get it back together at the end. <laughs> I've just ruined it.
0: <laughs> just but, break you know. it. Yeah. Well, that's... Uh, I mean, that, that record, the Karen Krog record, has got an amazing version of Maiden Voyage on it. Oh, God, it's By, so cool, uh, yeah. by Herbie Hancock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. It, you should go and listen to it. It's, it's really great. And it definitely stretches it as, yeah like i think as far as it will go and loads yeah. of people have done versions of of every piece of music there is yeah, really yeah. but this is uh that's great i really really enjoyed it so you want her as secretary of freedom what would the well, secretary of freedom do uh well i don't know because
1: um you said i could make up a position yeah so i made one up without thinking what it would mean okay but, um i think the secretary of freedom would um, do long, semi-improvised versions of familiar standards.
0: <laughs> well, then she's nailed it. I mean, I can't, you made up the position. She's nailed it where, yeah. where that's concerned. Well, just because when I listen to it,
1: it makes me think that anything is possible. Then I sober up and I realise it isn't. But, um, you know, there's just something about her that makes you think you might as well try anything because she is on this sort of precipice of being absurd and embarrassing. Uh-huh. But then it's still
0: just really great. Uh, Well, I'm going to leave this one to democracy. What what do the audience think? The Secretary of Freedom, Karen Krog? Yeah. 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 Great. Of all things, I never thought you would be a populist, Stuart Lee, but here we are. (laughs) (laughs) Have you seen Karen Krog play, by the way? No, I haven't. And she's, you know, she's been
1: active lately, but I think she's probably not um, playing the sort of thing I'd really go for anymore, but I would love to go and see her. But, you know, I spent 30 years fitting things in around being a nightclub entertainer. Yeah. And it's my ability to see live music has suffered as much as my personal life and mental health.
0: (laughs) Is that a piece of wisdom from Monk's notebook? No, it's not. It looks like it is, doesn't it? Give us another one from Monk's
1: book. Well, they're all really good. Um, Things like uh, Don't Play Everything or Every Time. Let some things go by. Some music is best just imagined. What you don't play can be more important than what you do. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah. It's so good. Don't have to do everything, do you? You can just do a little bit and leave them to fill in the rest with their imagination. That's how a good joke works. A good joke, you don't even have to deliver the punchline. You just say the setup and just wait. There's always some idiot who doesn't get it, though. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And with that, uh, my huge thanks to this week's president, Stuart Lee, my producer, Debbie Kilbride, executive producer, Alison Vernon-Smith, and, of course, to Pizza Express here in Soho, hosting us tonight. Uh, the Cabinet of Jazz is a Loftus Media production for Jazz FM, supported by the Audio Content Fund, to whom we are very grateful. Ladies and gentlemen, your president, Stuart Lee! Thank you. Thank you. Oh, so lovely.